life on the conveyor belt. The Industrial Revolution yielded an unprecedented combination of cheap and abundant energy and cheap and abundant raw materials. The result was an explosion in human productivity. The explosion was felt first and foremost in agriculture. Usually, when we think of the Industrial Revolution, we think of an urban landscape, of smoking chimneys, or the plight of exploited coal miners sweating in the bowels of the earth. Yet the Industrial Revolution was, above all else, the second agricultural revolution. During the last 200 years, industrial production methods became the mainstay of agriculture. Machines, such as tractors, began to undertake tasks that were previously performed by muscle power or not performed at all. Fields and animals became vastly more productive thanks to artificial fertilizers, industrial insecticides, and an entire arsenal of hormones and medications. Refrigerators, ships, and airplanes have made it possible to store produce for months and transport it quickly and cheaply to the other side of the world. Europeans began to dine on fresh Argentinian beef and Japanese sushi. Even plants and animals were mechanized. Around the time that Homo sapiens was elevated to divine status by humanist religions, farm animals stopped being viewed as living creatures that could feel pain and distress, and instead came to be treated as machines. Today, these animals are often mass-produced in factory-like facilities, their bodies shaped in accordance with industrial needs. They pass their entire lives as cogs in a giant production line. And the length and quality of their existence is determined by the profits and losses of business corporations. Even when the industry takes care to keep them alive, reasonably healthy and well-fed, It has no intrinsic interest in the animals' social and psychological needs, except when these have a different, a direct impact on production. Egg-laying hens, for example, have a complex world of behavioral needs and drives. They feel strong urges to scout their environment, forage, and peck around, determine social hierarchies, build nests, and groom themselves. But the egg industry often locks the hens inside tiny coops, and it is not uncommon for it to squeeze four hens to a cage, each given a floor space of about 10 to, 5, 10 to 8.5 inches. The hens receive sufficient food, but they are unable to claim a territory, build a nest, or engage in other natural activities. Indeed, the cage is so small that hens are often unable even to flap their wings or stand fully erect.
pigs are among the most intelligent and inquisitive of mammals, second perhaps only to the great apes. Yet industrialized pig farms routinely confine nursing sows inside such small crates that they are literally unable to turn around, not to mention walk or forage. The sows are kept in these crates day and night for four weeks after giving birth. Their offspring are then taken away to be fattened up, and the sows are impregnated with the next litter of piglets. Many dairy cows live almost all their allotted years inside a small enclosure, standing sitting and sleeping in their own urine and excrement. They receive their measure of food, hormones, and medications from one set of machines and get milked every few hours by another set of machines. The cow in the middle is treated as a little more than a mouth that takes in raw materials and an udder that produces a commodity. Treating living creatures possessing complex emotional worlds as if they were machines in life is likely to cause them not only physical discomfort, but also social stress and psychological frustration. Just as the Atlantic slave trade did not stem from hatred towards Africans, so the modern animal industry is not motivated by animosity. Again, it is fueled by indifference. Most people who produce and consume eggs, milk, and meat rarely stop to think about the fate of the chickens, cows, or pigs whose flesh and emissions they are eating. Those who do not think often argue that such animals are really little different from machines, devoid of sensations and emotions, incapable of suffering. Ironically, the same scientific disciplines which shape our milk machines and egg machines have lately demonstrated beyond reasonable doubt that mammals and birds have a complex sensory and emotional makeup. They not only feel, feel physical pain, but can also suffer from emotional distress. Evolutionary psychology maintains that the emotional and social needs of farm animals evolved in the wild when they were essential for survival and reproduction. For example, a wild cow had to know how to form close relations with other cows and bulls or else she could not survive and reproduce. In order to learn the necessary skills, evolution implanted in calves, as in the young of all other social mammals, a strong desire to play. Playing is the mammalian way of learning social behavior. And it implanted in them an even stronger desire to bond with their mothers, whose milk and care were essential for survival. What happens if farmers now take a young calf, separate her from her mother, put her in a closed cage, give her food, water and inoculations against diseases, and then when she's old enough, 
inseminate her with bull sperm. From an objective perspective, this calf no longer needs either maternal bonding or playmates in order to survive and reproduce. But from a subjective perspective, the calf still needs a still feels a very strong urge to bond with their mother and to play with other calves. If these urges are not fulfilled, the calf suffers greatly. This is the basic lesson of evolutionary psychology. A need shaped in the wild continues to be felt subjectively, even if it's no longer really necessary for survival and reproduction. The tragedy of industrial agriculture is that it takes care of the objective needs of animals while neglecting their subjective needs. The truth of this theory has been known at least since the 1950s when the American psychologist Harry Harlow studied the development of monkeys. Harlow separated infant monkeys from their mothers several hours after birth. The monkeys were isolated inside cages and then raised by dummy mothers. In each cage, Harlow placed two dummy mothers. One was made of metal wires and was fitted with a milk bottle from which the infant monkey could suck. The other was made of wood, covered with cloth, which made it resemble a real monkey mother, but it provided the infant monkey with no material sustenance whatsoever. It was assumed that the infants would cling to the nourishing metal mother rather than the barren clothed one. To Harlow's surprise, the infant monkeys showed a marked preference for the cloth mother, spending most of their time with her. When the two mothers were placed in close proximity, the infants held on to the cloth mother, even while they reached over to suck milk from the metal mother. Harlow suspected that perhaps the infants did so because they were cold. So he fitted an electric bulb inside the wire mother, which now radiated heat. Most of the monkeys, except for the very young ones, continued to prefer the cloth mother. Follow-up research showed that Harlow's orphaned monkeys grew up to be emotionally disturbed, even though they had received all the nourishment they required. They never fitted into monkey society, had difficulties communicating with other monkeys, and suffered from high levels of anxiety and aggression. The conclusion was inescapable. Monkeys must have psychological needs and desires that go beyond their material requirements. And if these are not fulfilled, they will suffer greatly. Harlow's infant monkeys preferred to spend their time in the hands of the barren cloth mother because they were looking for an emotional bond and not only for milk. In the following decades, numerous studies showed that this conclusion applies not only to monkeys,
but to other mammals as well as birds. It, at present, millions of farm animals are subjected to the same conditions as Harlow's monkeys. As farmers routinely separate calves, kids, and other youngsters from their mothers to be raised in isolation. Altogether, tens of billions of farm animals live today as part of a mechanized assembly line. And about 50 billion of them are slaughtered annually. These industrial livestock methods have led to a sharp increase in agricultural production and in human food reserves. Together with the mechanization of plant cultivation, industrial animal husbandry is the basis of the entire modern socio-economic order. Before the industrialization of agriculture, most of the food produced in fields and farms was wasted, feeding peasants and farmyard animals. Only a small percentage was available to feed artisans, teachers, priests, and bureaucrats. Consequently, in almost all societies, peasants comprise more than 90% of the population. Following the industrialization of agriculture, a shrinking number of farmers was enough to feed a growing number of clerks and factory hands. Today in the United States, only 2% of the population makes a living from agriculture. Yet this 2% produces enough not only to feed the entire U.S. population, but also to export surpluses to the rest of the world. Without the industrialization of agriculture, the urban industrial revolution could never have taken place. There would not have been enough hands and brains to staff factories and offices. As those factories and offices absorbed the billions of hands and brains that were released from fieldwork, they began to pouring out an unprecedented avalanche of products. Humans now produce far more steel, manufacture much more clothing, and build many more structures than ever before. In addition, they produce a mind-boggling array of previously unimaginable goods, such as light bulbs, mobile phones, cameras, and dishwashers. For the first time in human history, supply began to outstrip demand and an entirely new problem was born. Who is going to buy all of this stuff?